0: All righty. Hello, everyone, and welcome to The Dealmaker Show. So today we have a pretty interesting story. I mean, going from a big rocket ship to really starting his own business and, and making it happen. So I think that we're really going to be learning a lot today and enjoying this story that we have coming. So I guess without further ado, let's welcome our guest today, Venkat Venkataramani. Welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Alejandro. It's a pleasure. So originally born in South India, obviously growing up there in a
1: middle class uh, type of environment. So how was how was life there? It was great. I, you know, I grew up in Trichy back in the state of Tamil Nadu in India. Uh, It's a small town. Uh, People call it a temple town. It's a there isn't much happening there other than, you know, like a a, a beautiful river flowing through the the town. There's a lot of farming uh, in the greater area. So it was great. And one of the uh, a really, really top-tier educational institution, um, the NIT, the National Institute of Technology, in, uh, is also located in Trichy. Uh, it was always my dream to go there and, and study engineering, and, and I got to do that. And so it really gave me a very, very good foundation for for building my career. And why engineering? I think it was really computer science that drew me. I think I still remember uh, my parents didn't know what to do with me when I was in 7th grade uh, summer holidays and they were like go go sign up for this computer you know summer camp type of a thing and they were teaching basic programming and i'll never forget that it was just fun it was like uh you know whenever i got to work with computers and programming uh i was the youngest one in the entire class because it was almost like a professional development thing my parents didn't know it was not a summer camp for kids <laughs> and so There were people, you know, who finished colleges and all that. And I was this, uh, you know, 11 year old sitting there and I was the only one who could actually solve any of, you know, any of the, uh, me and my brother, actually. So the two of us were the only ones that could actually, you know, solve and write any of those programs that they were teaching us. And so that was really a, a defining kind of moment in my, in my life where I thought, wow, this is fun. And, you know, if somebody would pay me to do this all day, you know, that would be, that would be a life. And that really got me into computer science. And ever since then, I've been just kind of going deeper and deeper into the field, uh, all the way from finishing my bachelor's and, uh, and then coming into the US and, and do my, did my master's in University of Wisconsin, Madison, which is an amazing institution and had just brilliant professors, great, great computer science program that also allowed me to, you know, really give me the uh, the education and the background uh, to go on and, and and do interesting things post post graduation
0: i mean i'm sure that that for you that was a pivotal moment because here you are in in south india you know obviously the opportunities perhaps you know are not as a, are not as great as as maybe what you see now in in palo alto where you're based but uh, but coming to wisconsin probably was like life changing so so how did you manage to 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 make that happen
1: yeah, I think I was incredibly lucky to be surrounded. I think the the educational institution, NIT Trichy, where I went to, you know, we just had you know my seniors, my people, you know, students that were one or two years ahead of me in the college. They were really paving the way for for us because they had figured out, you know, what are good schools, how to apply for them, you know, what kind of exams do you need to take, and how to prepare for you know the GRE and the and the subject GRE kind of exams and all that that is really required to even qualify for admission in these top tier universities uh, so i think all of that i think like really we were standing on the shoulders of giants who were all the people that came before us in the in the institution but also i think university of wisconsin you know is a state university and um, you know we couldn't afford uh, uh to pay for tuition uh, especially in the us uh, to say the least and so, having you know full financial assistance for international students like myself really changed the 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 dynamic because we could actually afford it and I still remember the the first flight I'd ever taken in my entire life was the flight from chennai uh, through uh you know to Chicago, and I still remember coming there, and it was the first flight I ever took so it was um Yeah, it was um, not as uh, you know crazy as you would think because um, I would say uh, we already I already had uh, a couple of people that I've been you know exchanging emails with here and and there was the 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 people the community uh, the the student community at Wisconsin Madison you know really welcomed us uh, gave us some temporary housing until we were able to rent a home for ourselves and things like that and so. It was not as crazy as you would, you, you would think it would be, because I think we just, we just had a, an amazing support system, both back home in India and in the, in the university when we came. Uh, and being a state university and giving full financial assistance, that's a, that's a life changer. And I think, uh, you know, ever since I've never, ever complained about paying taxes, uh, you know, because I'm, you know, some of that, you know, other taxpayers in, in the state of Wisconsin was, was indirectly or the people who sponsored me and my education. So ever since I've been a very proud, uh, eventually, you know, I, I became a naturalized U.S. citizen. And to this day, I, I never, ever complain uh, about paying taxes and my fair share. Yeah, no, I hear you. I hear you. And Oracle. So Oracle
0: comes knocking. You know, here you are, you know, now in the U.S., finishing your master's degree and joining one of the biggest companies in the in the tech world. So, so how was
1: that for you? It was a great experience. I think in the early 2000s, uh, the ser- database server team, uh, you know, internally it was called the server technologies division. I think it was just unbelievable. I think they had so many amazing smart people working there. Um, and when I had a chance to work with them and, um, and, and the funny part was, you know, I was actually enrolled in the PhD program in, in Wisconsin, Madison. And, um, you know, I was preparing for it and, and, you know, there were exams that you have to pass to even qualify, uh, that you can start on a PhD program. And I gave those exams and I passed them and all that. And then I really wanted to take a break because I've never worked anywhere. And so my fear in doing a PhD prematurely was that no one would care to read my thesis other than me and my advisor. And so I really wanted to work in the industry to understand, maybe, you know, I'll, I'll discover problems that are worth tackling and worth solving and then spend, uh, you know, many years researching it and, and getting a PhD. And I almost took a leave of absence to join Oracle and I never went back. And I think uh, the team at Oracle were just unbelievable. Uh, I think the the larger team that I got to work with, uh, you know, everybody, you know, there's so many success stories there. Uh, you know, the founder of Snowflake, the founder of Rubrik, uh, the founder of Nutanix. There are companies after companies that have been, Massively successful, and if you go, if you trace their roots back uh, to early 2000s, so many of them were in the server technologies divisions uh, back back at Oracle. So I, I was just very, very fortunate to work with some amazing people there.
0: Absolutely, and the founders of Nutanix actually two of them have been on the show, Mohit Aron and Ajit Singh. So for all the people that are listening, you know, I would highly recommend that they listen to them because not only Nutanix, but they after Nutanix they went and. And they both build like a, another couple billion dollar businesses. I mean, it was pretty unbelievable people. So I'm right there with you in terms of ecosystem and network. So here in, in Oracle, you worked for about five years, but then you make the switch to a company that was not so big at the time. It was, you know, maybe like a, a little bit under 200 employees and it was a company called Facebook. So why do you make the switch from a well-established company like Oracle to a company that is still not as big
1: like Facebook. It's a great question. I think one of the things that has been kind of like an underlying driving force in my career has always been when things get comfortable, I get uncomfortable, right? So five and a half years into Oracle, things were really comfortable working with smart people on hard problems, uh, becoming more and more productive. I you know felt like you know I I know how to get stuff done and I can get it done without a lot of you know effort. And, and keep going and you know there was like interesting career choices inside of oracle that was available but what was bothering me was that i just didn't feel challenged right i i was i felt like it was more of the same and then i was looking around and there was a lot of open source technologies that piqued my interest this was before really hadoop was the thing so i was even looking at you know memcached as an example mysql as an example InnoDB, the storage engine and and I was looking at so many and uh, reading a lot of research papers coming out of Google at that time. And I was really very curious to, you know, uh, you know, expand my horizon a little bit and uh, really learn how to solve problems and build systems. And the thing, the trouble with Oracle was that with Oracle, the relational database, which is the core product that, you know, I was, you know, I, I know that, that Oracle database team was building was in the center of the universe. And all the different use cases and problems were revolving around that. Uh, and so you know you would start solving problems that the database relational database was really not the best uh, tool for, uh, and, and you, were, you wouldn't really look to solve the problem the, the best possible way. And then there there were you know uh, really amazing people. Once I started talking to you know, a few folks at Facebook back then, I think the entire engineering team was less than 100 people. I was really drawn to the caliber of the people that was there. Uh, I was really drawn to the scale. Uh, even back then, they were they had like 30, 40 million monthly active users. But even back then, the kind of problems that they were tackling—not necessarily the scale—was was very fascinating for me because I thought there was a lot to learn that I had no idea how to do. You know, I was really kind of like making myself uh, uncomfortable again. Was why you know I made the switch. And so once I started talking to them and understood like you know what kind of challenges that they were facing. I I really felt like I was the least qualified person to work there because I had no idea how to solve any of them. Uh, But then I was really walking away from the interview saying, you know, if I get a chance to work with these amazing people on these hard problems uh, that I have no idea how to, you know, solve or or even think about, uh, that would be a fantastic opportunity, learning opportunity for me. And not in my wildest dreams, you know, I thought, one day facebook would be you know close to a trillion dollar company back in 2007 i was just extremely fortunate to be there that early but but i really what drew me to facebook was really the caliber of the people the vision that uh, that mark and, and and the rest of the the leadership team had there uh, to think big and really an opportunity to work on really really hard problems uh, hard technical problems that my previous job uh, wouldn't wouldn't have given me an opportunity to work on
0: and obviously at that point i mean facebook still a small company so I mean what what were those days like of Facebook?
1: So early days um, of Facebook was quite chaotic Uh, looking back it was you know it's very you know we have lost I have a lot of nostalgia for for those days but it was quite chaotic because you know uh, during the early uh, years Facebook was doubling in size every four five six months and so there was a lot of scaling challenges there was a lot of uh, you know, firefighting and infrastructure and what have you. But it was also a fantastic learning experience because there were way more problems to be solved than people, which allowed, you know, people who take initiative and, uh, you know, to really be able to step up and 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 do things that helps the company move forward. So it was just a fantastic learning experience. and um, And Facebook was another... Place where which attracted just unbelievably amazing people, and uh, from whom I learned a lot and and grew a lot uh, in those years. So, yeah, the early years were uh, quite chaotic to to say the least. But I wouldn't trade those years for for anything.
0: I mean, obviously, you joined there are less than two hundred employees, and now there are over eighty one thousand employees. I mean, what what a ride! I guess in your case, from working with with such a team and and let's say with someone from. Like Mark Zuckerberg, I mean, what what did you learn? What do you think were those special traits that make Mark Zuckerberg so effective to build a company like this?
1: Yeah, you know, yeah, I have such mad respect, especially, you know, of what Mark has done uh, in in scaling Facebook and and being there. I think think the thing that always struck out to me was what an amazingly fast learner he is. I think even when, you know, I was much older than him, obviously, when I started there, uh, even though it was many years ago, and I still remember being struck in awe of how mature, and I mean, he was literally like a 20-year-old that I felt like was talking like a 40-year-old with that much more wisdom and and growing up. So it was really, I was always amazed at, at how he carried himself, how he thought, um, how mature his thought process was. And that has always been, I think, helping Facebook uh, make the right calls and do the right things, even though on the day, it feels weird. And so, yeah, I think there's so many things to talk about, but what struck, what strikes me even now, and uh, when, I, when I look back, is, is just what a, a level-headed thought process and how mature uh, and and far-sighted, uh, Mark was as a person and as a as a leader and as a visionary. That I mean, it took the entire world and you know, including people working there like myself, many years to even realize what he was talking about. And and uh, yeah, I think um, I think he's just an, you know uh, an amazing, amazing uh, CEO for a. Uh, for, for yeah, like an era defining company like Facebook.
0: So in your case, I mean, when you joined, you know, we were talking about a 30 million users that were, you know, then when you, when it's time to leave, it's like at around 1.5 billion. So I mean, quite, quite, quite some growth there. So at the beginning, you know, getting into Facebook for you, you had to have a, an interesting conversation with with your parents and they thought you were crazy for for joining a company like Facebook and and now they think that you're crazy again for for leaving Facebook. So how was that?
1: Oh yeah, that was the the toughest conversation that because of one of the first people that I told uh, that I'm thinking about leaving was my you know were my parents. And when I rem- I remember telling them I'm going to leave Oracle to go to this Facebook thing, uh, they they couldn't understand Facebook is what you know they 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 really I've never heard of it. Facebook was, didn't have any presence in India back then. There was this other social network called Orkut, which was very popular among college students and things like that, which was the only only thing that was happening in India. But, and then Facebook eventually grew. And by the time in 2015, I think it was like the biggest social network in India. And, and, um, and so they were, eventually they were able to understand, oh, okay, this is where my, my son works. And so they were able to, you know they, they can tell to their friends on, on what I actually was doing for a living. And then when I said I was going to leave next, um, it was quite a conversation because the first question they asked was, "So what are you going to do next?" And at that time, I, I honestly didn't know. I, I wanted to leave because again, things were getting very comfortable. Uh, Facebook had gone much, much bigger. It has scaled uh, both in terms of the size, number of employees, and the uh, infrastructure and the product, um, user base. Everything has just gone gotten so big that. Um, Things were slowing down i think the the fast paced kind of like um learning environment and uh and the innovations that were happening at the speed of the innovation was all like slowing down a bit and uh, things were again very similar to my previous uh, time when i left oracle you know back you know in the middle of 2015 is when i started thinking that maybe i should leave and and take some time off to figure out what i want to do next and so, yeah, that conversation also was very tricky with my, with my parents. I'm like, whatever, what you know, they's like, okay, so what are I going to do next? And I'm like, I don't know, but I'm going to take a break, um, to figure it out. And, um, it, you know, it was not an easy conversation because they couldn't, you know, it's not something that you do, you know, where, where I grew up, you know, you go to work and you're the breadwinner, uh, you make yourself useful. That's kind of like how you are kind of worth in the world, uh, is measured. And when you take a year off, you're like, everybody used, you know, looks at you and go like, are you crazy? <laughs> um, yeah. But but I have to say that year was a a very very important defining year because um, it really allowed me to reflect a lot on you know so many different things and look forward and and that really paved the way uh, for me to be able to uh, start this 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 company called Rockset and 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 build together an amazing team and and uh, yeah and still we are uh, super thrilled about uh, what we're doing here.
0: So then let's talk about Rockset. So here you are, uh, you take some time off. And eventually at one point, you know, the, the the whole idea or what you were incubating there in the background that maybe you didn't even know was there really pushes you over the edge to really bring this to life. So can you walk us through what that process was like and and how you really, you know, like made it a reality?
1: Great, uh, great question. Yeah, I think that year was a, a very, very important year um, for me, uh, for my personal, you know, personally speaking, because when I, you know, if you remember, you know, I was at... Facebook from 2007 until 2015. You know, it's like Facebook infrastructure and the scaling problems and all of that. You know, if you really look back, um, the world had completely changed by then, right? Like, the you know, AWS happened, you know, public cloud infrastructure happened, uh, Docker happened, Kubernetes happened. You know, the whole Hadoop ecosystem had got, you know started, blown up, and then they were like on the tail end of like what's next kind of uh, conversations were starting to happen. So it was really... The world was a very, very different place, you know, in in the span of eight years, and I have, wasn't really paying close attention because my all of my attention was was around uh, the problems that were worth solving within the boundaries of Facebook. And in some ways, I you know I call like Facebook kind of like Disney World, right? Like the the normal regular, there's still a city, there's still shops in there, but the regular rules don't apply there. It's really like a, its own you know different its own world. So, um, so when I left, the first thing I did was, you know, just talking to as many people as possible, trying to really understand how the actual world works as opposed to how Facebook worked. And, um, you know, I would just drop my, you know, wake up, drop my kids at school, uh, in their, in their preschool, just like, you know, a regular work, work day. And then just that I won't go to work and i would be going and meeting someone that, uh, that I'm talking to, you know, f- you know, from like. You know, the, the, the IT people from like hospitals, banks, uh, cybersecurity companies, and, and anybody that from my extended network um, would be willing to sit down with me and help, help me understand what their team is working on and what problems they are solving. And I did all those conversations with really no intention. I, w- I didn't have a pitch deck. I wasn't really even thinking about a product or a company. I was just there to understand uh, in a very selfish way. I was really trying to understand and, it, you know, make myself relevant for the world. Uh, by understanding what problems are worth solving and when, and what is really playing them. And uh, that was really the genesis of Rockset because you know I took down a lot of notes from these interviews and I started walking away from more and more of those conversations thinking building a large-scale data application is way too complicated and uh, everybody's struggling with it. If building a data application within the boundaries of Facebook was that complicated, Facebook wouldn't have innovated anything. Right? Uh, you know, the like button came out of a hackathon, right? And and you could just take it for granted that, yeah, if you put this on every uh, content that was ever created, including every comment for every content, if you couldn't just take for granted, oh, we can just make it work and the infrastructure magically will just scale and work. Uh, it was a lot of work, but uh, without that level of infrastructure and, um, and um, you know, scalability that uh, developers could take for granted, you just simply couldn't, uh, innovate and and so when we really looked at that, that was really the genesis of Rockset where you know we wanted to do the same uh, thing for everybody in the world in in the in the public cloud where building a large scale data application should be possible uh, you know without a lot of cost and complexity, and that was really the those conversations were really the defining moments I would say that that gave me you know like this this confidence that yeah this is a problem we 're solving. And uh, and right around the same team, an amazing set of people also reached out and uh, you know Druba Borthakur, my co-founder Tudor Basman, uh, who built and architected the you know the search at Facebook. Um, Druba is the creator of the Hadoop file system and and, and RocksDB and, and other amazing kind of data infrastructure projects that I've had the pleasure of working closely with him at, at Facebook. And so you know we we got together and we started talking about you know these these ideas that were. Simmering in my head, and and that was really the genesis of Rockset. So, so yeah, I think it started with like a journey of just again educating myself, and and paved a, a direct, uh, you know, in in hindsight, they look like customer interviews and discovery, uh, problem discovery or pain discovery. I I didn't even know that those phrases existed. <laughs> I started those those conversations simply to uh, kind of make myself relevant to the world, and and it really helped me uh, kind of like pinpoint and and start thinking about. Uh, what should we do about that? Uh, and so, of all the different opportunities that I had, um, you know, we did, you know, we I wanted to, do, you know, start Rockset simply uh, with the with the with the idea of building something that we are uniquely qualified to build uh, and build something useful and put it in the hands of as many people as possible. Um, I was really, you know, I, I to this day I'm very convinced that um, that is the way. Uh, we can have a lasting impact in the world is to build something that you're uniquely qualified to build and put it in the hands of as many people as possible. So that's kind of really the, the journey that happened from for about a year and a few months from, and I left Facebook in 20, in the middle of 2015 up until late 2016, when when we started Rockset.
0: So then let's talk about the business model. What is the business model of Rockset?
1: So it's a cloud database. Um, if you're familiar with Snowflake, I would say uh, think of Rockset as a real time Snowflake. Um, we are a real-time database in the cloud. Uh, and using Rockset, you can build interactive, you know, very fast interactive real-time applications um, and real-time analytics uh, in the cloud without a lot of cost and complexity. And so uh, if you see the world uh, is going from batch to real-time, right? I think one of our customers said something like, if, you, if my internal data applications are slower than Instagram, if my, if my internal dashboards are slower than Instagram, nobody in my company would use it. Uh, and so the world is really moving to, uh, you know, fast queries on fresh data as opposed to slow queries on stale data, which is what usually analytics within the business is is all about. And and I think there is a lot of innovation that we have done since, uh, you know, founding Rockset in building uh, a kind of a born in the cloud with uh, built-in cloud scalability for real-time analytics. And so that's really the crux of Rockset. And so if you are looking to you know, build, you know, interactive real-time analytics. Uh, let's say you're a SaaS product and you're trying to build it for your end customers. Or, you you know, this could be for operational analytics within the business where, uh, you know, you have business operations team and they really need real-time insights uh, to make, de- you know, better operational day-to-day decisions. Uh, you know, Rockset is uh, a really good solution for you because you can now do that without a lot of cost and complexity as compared to any other uh, technology that exists out there.
0: So then how much capital have you guys raised uh, to date for the business?
1: Till date, we have raised a little more than $61 million over three rounds, uh, seed A and B. Our B round was closed last uh, last October and, and we announced it uh, later, late October or early November last year. Uh, Greylock uh, and Sequoia are, are been our are two partners on all these three rounds. So they, they tripled down their investment uh, late last year uh, because they both... Um, uh, did our uh, CD, uh, seed uh, and our C- series A and, and now our series B. So how does it look like? I mean, when you have, when you're so lucky that you have
0: investors that they're actually doing the round internally, where you don't have to go out and distract yourself. I mean, what does
1: that look like? I think, uh, you know, we're very, very fortunate, uh, I think, to have amazing partners, uh, amazing investors, uh, simply because I think they are also extremely obsessed obsessed about the long term and not the short term. Uh, I think it takes enormous amount of courage and maturity uh to be able to do that uh in the VC world. And um we're just very, very lucky to have Sequoia and Greylock, uh specifically Mike Wernell from Sequoia, Jerry Chen from Greylock. They're just amazing, amazing investors. And if you get a chance to work with them, you absolutely should. I think the you know they are they are the best kind of like a founding uh you know, CEOs, uh yeah, you know, uh board members. They are the best uh partners because they're obsessing about the long term too. And and you know that, you know, they are not just, you know, even when they do a seed round or an A round, they're not just there uh, hoping that they close that particular round and uh, they really partner with you to build a company, to build a lasting, uh, you know, amazing company. And uh, the guidance have been spectacular. So inside rounds are, are you know, it's one of those things where um, it's, it, it it you know, when it happens, it's great, uh, but it's not something you can really count on. So, so we've been fortunate to be on the on the receiving end of it now, uh, you know, kind of like two times in a row because both C A and and B happen that way, and it definitely makes your your fundraising process a lot, lot, lot simpler. About like so much simpler that you know, if you even if you want to talk to other investors and potentially bring um, a third investor to the table, you know, the con- starting conversation is already like we already have a term sheet from you know our our existing inver- investors so let me know if you want to participate in the round i think that just completely changes the dynamic and uh, yeah i think we've been very fortunate i think they also have a lot more information about the company about the product about the the competitive landscape simply because they are also working and you know with with us uh you know along these years uh on a uh, continuously with us so in in some ways i think they also have a uh, unfair advantage in terms of visibility into the company, and so when they invest uh, with all that knowledge that they have and they are in, ready to invest, it almost sends a, a huge signal uh, to other VCs that uh, that this is a great company uh, with with a bright future ahead, uh, which also is is super helpful for us to be able to go and talk to other investors if we want to bring bring more people in. So yeah, I think I think we're very very fortunate to have amazing investors like that. I I really uh, can't speak more highly of them.
0: So then, what's in store for for the company? I mean, what do you guys have coming up for Rockset?
1: Oh yeah. Um, so we're growing. Uh, you know, we are hiring. Uh, you know, every part of uh, Rockset is growing at this point, uh, from sales, marketing, to to product and engineering, and uh, and and company operations and everything. The last two quarters uh, of of last year have been really amazing. The company is seeing a lot of growth in in the business. Uh, more and more businesses are. As I said, going from batch to real-time and looking for world-class real-time analytic solutions. And, uh, and we're very, very lucky to be uh, you know, building the right technology and the right product at the right time. And so I think what's looking forward uh, you know, for us is, is really focusing, doubling down on the product, making the product continue to innovate on the product, but also doubling down on the execution uh, in terms of scaling our sales team, scaling our marketing team, and really being able to go and grow the business uh, this, you know, in the coming years, so that we get to do this now and and again put the put the product in the hands of more and more people.
0: So one of the questions that I typically ask the, the guests that come on the show is, if you had the opportunity to go back in time, you know, let's say, you know, in your guys' case, you know, back to that time, you know, where you were, you know, thinking about maybe launching this business back in 2016 when you were maybe like doing your your year uh, off, you know, after your experience at Facebook. If you had the chance of talking to your younger self and give your younger self one piece of advice before launching a company, based on what you know now, what would
1: that be and why? Great question. The one thing that I would crystallize and probably tell my younger self is don't bother maximizing success, but work on minimizing regrets. I think this kind of framework or this frame of uh, mind didn't occur to me until 2016, 2017, and I wish I had that kind of a mental framing for my decision making. I think it was very implicit and subconscious, but I think I would have benefited a lot from that type of thought process, uh, where there were multiple different options in front of me, including founding Rockset and and uh, you know maybe work go work at other very very interesting companies. The natural way to think about that was maximizing, you know, expected value or something like that, right? Like, you know, you have option A, option B, option C, Uh, what's the potential success that could come if I go in that path? And what's the probability of that success? And you kind of like, you know, look at all these three options and you pick the one that you think is going to be the most successful. And um, something didn't feel right about it. And I was really looking for a better way to think about to get a stronger conviction on what to do next. And instead of thinking about what would make me or or what would be the more successful path and trying to predict that, what I started thinking about was assume that we're going to pick the path and we're going to be, you know, I'm going to be walking in that path for three years. And then after three years is only I'm going to figure out it's going to be a spectacular failure. And then you go back and say, which path, knowing that it's going to be a, you know, you're not going to find out for three years and what is the path that is still that you would gleefully open and, and 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 pursue, and when I, you know, when we were talking, you know, when we when I was, you know, comparing the option of starting Rockset and, uh, you know, with other potential career career options that I had, that was the only one standing because that was only that was the path that no matter what the outcome was, it was very clear to me that I would be gleefully going through the journey and and the uh, and the learning experience and the growth that comes from that. I thought was 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 so much more valuable. And that was very, very interesting or or uh, impactful way to think about it. And I think minimizing regret or regret minimization, I think, often yields uh, counterintuitive results, but eventually leads you on a happier path for yourself and and everybody around you. So, so that is something that I wish I had kind of learned almost as a, a decision making uh a framework uh, that I had used, you know, in um in, in in throughout my throughout my life and even in earlier days. So that would be something that. I would tell myself.
0: Very cool. So, for the people that are listening, what is the best way, Venkat, for them to reach out and say hi?
1: I'm on LinkedIn. Uh, send them, send me a note. Uh, you can, you know, if you're curious about the product, you can go to rockset.com and uh, there is a free trial. You can go check out the the product that we're building. Uh, there is a contact us if you want to get in touch with anybody in the company. Uh, if you do want to say hi, uh, reach out to me on LinkedIn and. Um, Yeah, I'll be happy to connect.
0: Amazing. Well, thank you so much, Venkat, for being on the DealMaker Show today.
1: Thank you, Alejandro. Uh, Thanks for having me. It was a pleasure talking to you. If you
0: like the show, make sure that you hit that subscribe button. If you could leave a review as well, that would be fantastic. And if you got any value, either from this episode or from the show itself, share it with a friend. Perhaps they also appreciate it. So also remember that if you need any help,